What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey Podcast. We're glad you can join us today. I'm your host, Nick James, along with my co-host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you? I'm fantastic. The uh, We've had a nice break in the rain. It's been sunny and beautiful here in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we've got a guest that I'm super, super excited to have on the show. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, we got Mike Cummings coming to you today from Oregon City. Uh, actually, Mike is joining us in Vancouver, though. It's our first live episode, so we're super excited to, uh, to enjoy this episode with him, and we're going we're gonna to jump right into some questions. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the uh, invite to be on the podcast. Happy to drive up here, get me out of my shell, and do something different. Yeah, yeah no, I was going to say, we appreciate that drive. What does that is, take yeah. from Oregon City? About? It was like 40 minutes. It wasn't that bad today. Okay. Now, that's not bad, but if you were coming, if you're going to Oregon City from Vancouver... It looked bad going the other way. It was it? Yeah. yeah. Especially like once you get close to Oregon City. Mm-hmm. It was particularly... Yeah. Yeah. Scary looking. <laughs> no, it, 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 it definitely gets backed up, and most people, if you're not from the area, you, there uh, there's two bridges that cross into Oregon, and you enter at your own risk this time of this time of day. And right now they're rebuilding the one that goes over the bridge or the Willamette in Oregon City. Oh, across sure. the Westland. They're rebuilding that, trying to widen it right now. Yeah. But it already bottles neck bottlenecks yeah. down to two lanes right there. So yeah. Traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, I guess that means we gotta keep this episode under five hours so that, <laughs> that way we uh, Oh yeah, we don't which, have you hitting traffic on the way really back. Hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Uh, for the audience, uh, they don't know that you and I have known each other for what a couple years at this point. Yeah, man, like well, I guess probably like four years, maybe, yep, maybe yep. more. Absolutely, I've, we. I've been in real estate for six years, mm-hmm. and we met somewhere around like year one or two ish. Yeah. Of mine. Well, and we're excited to talk about some endeavors that you're doing today and things that you're focused on, entrepreneur at heart, and you've been a go getter from the start. But let's actually back up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about early childhood. Tell us a little bit about what kind of your upbringing was like. Sure. Yeah. So, um, grew up in Oregon, uh, Northeast Portland, really spent most of my growing up years in Westland. Um, so white collar community, um, but it was a little more diverse at the time right now. I think it's probably even more so that way. I, my parents still live there, but I'm, I don't really like see the functions of the town too much sure. anymore. I don't know yeah. what the high school is like, but it was a nice place to grow up. We had good, you know, good education and all that. Um, probably a function of my parents wanting to get out of North Portland at, you know, end of the eighties, it was starting to probably become a little more of a dicey area. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted something quieter. And so we, we wound up in Westland. That was a good place to grow up. Um, I saw a lot of my friends from Westland. Uh, I married my, I guess you could say high school sweetheart. We dated in junior year, but we actually split and then found our ways back together in college. And then, like all wow. good things, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, so we'll so. count it as high school sweetheart. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. I don't yeah. know that I'm the official authority on that, but somewhere back in there, I yeah, knew she was the one. She wasn't ready for me. Yeah. <laughs> maybe vice versa. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, I guess, the quick snapshot. I mean, it was. We weren't, I wasn't particularly wealthy growing up. I mean, my parents were both medical field nurses, uh, you know, good, good careers, jobs. great yeah. jobs, very generally speaking, stable. I mean, um, I think the difficulty was once we had moved from Portland to Westland, uh, it was this balancing act because my parents met in the same hospital and then they kind of split. My dad 
went for kind of the higher level. Uh, I think he actually went back to college for like a year or two to get his finish his bachelor's and um, he wound up working at OHSU as a heart transplant coordinator. Wow. Sounds That's pretty cool. high level. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's like the level right below doctor. I okay. mean, yeah. it's like right there, um, doing doctor level work with a nursing degree. Hmm. Um, and then my mom was a maternity nurse. So both, you know, very wow. hardworking yeah. type yeah. of people just, yeah. I mean, they, they kind of would put themselves in front of hard work, I guess, just to, I don't know do it. I, I don't know if it's just the way that they saw their necessity in life or something, but, um, just how they were wired and yeah. Yeah. And then my dad did ski patrol too, just as you know, it was like partly because by doing that, we could all ski for free. Nice. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm like, dude, he was working that whole time. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, he got to ride the slopes, but he also would see really traumatic stuff. No doubt. Yeah. You know, he's got his stories of all that. So, um, but we, we kind of are that way that we just handle pressure pretty well, too. I probably get that from my parents and being in their medical backgrounds of they were both in um, it was the ER initially. Wow. Like, you know, mom, I think you was see all some, the crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she was doing like stories and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And my dad was working with the anesthesiologist. So I think he was like a tech with the anesthesiologist originally. So they were that's how they met. And um, I'm the youngest of three. So. I, I found more and more as I've grown up how that actually really changes the way yeah. you yeah. look at life and like <laughs> how you go being about the oldest things. I know those 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 okay. those yeah. youngest they get spoiled and never get in trouble. My wife is the youngest of three, and I'm the oldest in my family. And it is uh, as you know we've gone further into marriage, we've found um, just how differently we view things in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think because of birth order in a lot of ways. I don't know if that's kind of what you're referring totally. to. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as a first kid and, you know, especially now being a dad too, it's like you see the full circle coming around with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the first kid I think doesn't, it's like in one way you get away with a lot because you're the one that's born that gets all the new stuff. You know, it's like <laughs> yep. everything is new, mostly assuming you were reasonably yeah. well off, but for the most part, everything is pretty new. And, uh, but you're also getting like all of the attention be that good or bad. Right. Right. That's right. So like, yeah. whereas once the second and the third come along, I don't have, I only have two kids, so I don't know what three is going to be like. If, well, it can't happen anyway. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to go there. But, <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, no, I won't be having three kids, but I know you you're on four. We're on three. Okay. My brother's got number four coming okay. up and yeah. Yeah. across the street. So, yeah. so it's, it's like, it's a party. I can't even imagine like where I would have any focus left yeah. for the fourth. I mean, no, it's just like, you're there. It's keep, yep. keeping them alive. Seems to be like, there's that, you're doing great. The gym, the Jim Gaffigan, we're surviving the Jim Gaffigan quote of that. Um, you know, what's it like having a fourth child? It's like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. That's right. You know, it's, <laughs> I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that seems to be a pretty good description. I also have three kids, um, but I can imagine that that's <laughs> what it would be like to have one more. Yeah. Um, so what was your first job? I mean, you saw your parents working hard, but uh, when yeah. did you start working and what were you doing? Well, I mean, we were always doing chores and stuff growing up. So sure. really... Work was always kind of ingrained into what we do, but uh, I got my first job when I was 15, so I was through church, um, and actually my sister knew it was the owner of a Gymboree, like franchise, mm. I think. I don't think it was like the actual, I don't 
think so. Anyway, <laughs> it was a smaller thing in Lake Oswego. It was like a little Jimboree shop. Okay. Um, I don't really know that much about that company, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> but, and for those that don't know, Jimboree is like children's clothing, right? Or baby clothing? Yeah, this one was kind of like a like a play class okay. type place. Less of a store. Okay. It was, it was more of a okay. play class. So I was yeah. a janitor. I was an after-hours janitor. So I, it was like a two-and-a-half, three-hour shift that you showed up at like I don't know, five thirty or something. Once they like right after they closed, you go in there and my mom. It was right by Bridgeport Village, if you know where that is. I don't think they're even there anymore. Okay, um, but she would drop me off and go over. I don't know, walk around shop. <laughs> shop. I have no idea what she would do. Look, like hindsight, I'm like, dude, this was such a burden for her. I can't believe she did this for me. It was. I mean, it wasn't that far away. She probably went home sometimes, but like. Still you know, having to coordinate getting you there. Yeah. Because I couldn't, yeah. couldn't legally drive myself yet. Sure. So it was like she just dropped me off over there and go do something for two and a half or three hours. And I would clean the place up. Uh, sometimes I would have a coworker, but more often than not, it was just me by myself. Sure. Um, again, in hindsight, thinking like, man, this company trusted some 15 year old <laughs> kid to like walk around. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, but. Um, it was money and I was not probably wise with it. You know, looking back, I'm like, I don't know, dude, I have nothing to show for any of that. I don't think I saved yeah. any of it, but I was always wanting to work. If it wasn't that it was mowing lawns, it was doing something for the neighbors. Um, I think around that same year I started working at the neighborhood pool, just checking the chemicals. I wasn't a lifeguard or anything. It was like twice a day, but I had to be accountable. as a lifeguard. So that pool had no lifeguard. Okay. Was, yeah, that was kind of the good old days. That was the glory of that pool, actually. There was no lifeguard on duty ever. Um, and you were allowed to run. Part of, yeah, part yeah, of what exactly. made it cheap. Exactly, all kinds of uh, crazy uh, stuff I'm sure you were able to get away with there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably why they got rid of the uh, diving board at one point. I wasn't there, but... <laughs> But no, anyway, it was it was my uh, responsibility, though, to check the chemicals and make sure that it didn't, uh, you know, turn cloudy or something like that, because people did use the pool and sure. we use the pool a lot. So I kind of took it on as a personal, I don't know, I guess, ownership thing. Of yeah. Like, keeping the community s- safe. Yeah. yeah. Pool. I don't know. Just um, like just like your dad was skiing and he was on duty to make sure you guys got to ski. You were keeping up with the pool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess for him, like skiing. It probably didn't matter to him. He just wanted to be skiing. <laughs> Honestly, don't even know. Yeah. I had to ask him one of these days, like what his motivation was for doing that. It seems crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know those things that uh, as we become adults and look back on what you know what our parents did in childhood that seems so normal, and then it's like, man, that was a that was a big undertaking. I'm sure that our kids are going to have that same oh, yeah. thing. You know, as they like, dad did dad did what and yeah. why? <laughs> How many okay. jobs you worked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I had no respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of good like uh, jobs while in school and and in high school, and mm-hmm. then, um, and then you went to you did go to college after high school or what? Was- so yeah, I I went to OSU for the first year. Actually, I was seeking to be a marine biologist. Wow. I, I always loved science and nature and all that, so I've been like really kind of biologically tuned. Um, but the college shape never actually really worked with me. Mm. Um, so I found myself at this big university. I was going into classes with, you know, 500 plus people. It was, it's like a huge, it's like the place you'd go to watch an opera or something. They're (laughs) enormous auditoriums, right? I mean, like if you've ever been to Keller auditorium or something, it feels like what you're in watching this guy up front who's a little (laughs) dot trying to teach you biology or chemistry or something like that. Right. Or worse, calculus. Um, 
here, that here. Just sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And <laughs> so uh, it it just didn't work. I don't know. It didn't click with me. I I don't know if it was because it was too many people or I just didn't feel like it was relating to what I was really trying to get to. I was probably, I'm sure there was an element of impatience in there being, you know, 18, 19 years old. But yeah. um, I was seeking something different, I think. Yeah. I liked the idea of being a marine biologist, but to get to that, what I wanted was the functions of doing that job. Yeah. I wanted to be out there like actually testing stuff and like you mm-hmm. know, putting my hands on it. Not sitting in the back of an auditorium. Learning calculus. Yeah. Which seemed totally irrelevant, but that's what they wanted for that yeah, degree. It's just right? part it's of the like requirement. You, to do that. Mm-hmm. you couldn't just pass algebra because like, I mean, sure. There's probably some biologist somewhere that's using calculus to like sure. count the number of particles on a Petri dish or something. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, realistically that's probably not most of what they needed it for, but that's the college model is, you know, check all these boxes and then you get your paper and now you get to go do the thing. Um, and I, I don't know where along the line I just decided that I didn't really care about that model. And so I decided to do my own thing. Um, I was taking a welding elective in college at OSU and I was really good at it. I've always known I've been decent at like building stuff. That's the other thing, right? So like algebra never made sense, but geometry clicked. Mm-hmm. All the other kids in my geometry class were like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so like that's kind of where I've I've realized I'm a little bit maybe different from most, yeah. you know, in my own ways. It's like I just sort of see the shapes and the math behind the shapes makes sense, but the math alone doesn't. Yeah. So, whereas, I don't know, for some reason you'd have all these people that didn't seem necessarily that bright to me that were able to just like fly through algebra. Like, <laughs> yeah, not me either. <laughs> like, on the other hand, I have no problem writing a paper and getting an A on it. And everybody would sit there, you know, struggling and struggling and struggling to write this basic book report. I'm like, I don't know. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just went with it. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, the beginnings of me realizing I was a creative. Yeah. Uh, which totally continues on later into the rest of what I'm doing, obviously, but even in mortgage too. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, and I, what I want to do is um, I want to focus a little bit at, you talked about that welding and I want to focus on that time period because I think your time there, you learned, and I know your story, right? But you, you've shared some pretty cool things on how that springboarded more of that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit out of college, kind of what you were doing with the welding and the fabrication. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, let's go, that's 2009 is when I jumped from, so I, I left OSU. I had kind of a rough year. I go into like, I could tell a whole story on that, but <laughs> basically decided to leave OSU realizing I was spending way too much money for something that I didn't really want probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole community college idea opened up and somebody was like, just, I don't know, go get a welding degree. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't really make sense. Nobody had ever recommended that to me, but like thought about it and was like, Oh yeah, I did always like watching like those fabrication TV shows and stuff like that. Like that's always been interesting. So sure. Let's go down that road. So came back, went to Clackamas community college and sailed through that like 4.0 all the way through that. Nice. No problem going through college in that frame. And most of those classes I imagine were significantly smaller and yeah. probably a lot more applied, very applied, very small. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my biggest class was like probably 50 people or something like that. And, uh, 
of course it was still college. So they're requiring you to take goofy other classes like, you know, mm-hmm. physical education and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a welder, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really need much more physical education, right. but okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, the, the, a few of them were great. I mean, computer science was another really good example of that. I'm like, you're going to weld. You're like, one percent of us is going to be a CNC welder. <laughs> yeah, it's like operating a machine. Needing to, yeah. Those guys usually aren't really welders; they're like machinists or sure, yeah. or they're CNC guys. Yep, <laughs> who are learning how to weld, frankly, <laughs> um, because they run the computer better. Um, but yeah, so that was still a little bit weird. But I did all right. I found it at a community college level. I was able to pick and choose the classes, and then yeah, it was much smaller. It was you know mostly thirty person classes, and even at that, it was like. You've got these certain, you know, welds or little projects you need to do. And it was like me in my booth, you know, it's not mm-hmm. in front of this huge class. There's still lectures. There is still a lot to learn about electricity and their science and the electricity. There's, you know, it's like, there's a lot more to it. I think when people hear welding in college, it's kind of like <laughs> shop class. <laughs> like, no, dude, you got to learn how to like, sure. you got to read blueprints. Like mm. most people don't know how to read a, a blueprint at all. Yeah. Like, right. And Oddly yeah. enough, one of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like oddly enough, I'm like I'm terrified of wiring diagrams, but now I realize how like similar a wiring diagram is to a blueprint. But that's actually a good example. I don't know if either of you know wiring diagrams Mm-mm. much at all, but Just like bare minimum. So yeah. you know enough probably that it doesn't look anything like what you're actually going to land with, right? right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like a blown up version of it. Like yeah. they, they took what it actually is and spread it all apart so that you know where each thing goes. Yeah. But a blueprint is similar because it's going to get you year-end result, but it's like a scale model in a two-dimensional view. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe three-dimensional, depending on the blueprint. But yeah. So that was another thing where, you know, so many people were struggling in that class, really, really struggling. And I was like, this is easy. I have no problem with this at all. This makes perfect sense to me. I can see exactly what I'm looking at. There's like rules to how it all works. And if it doesn't make sense, you find the problem because it has to be right in front of you. Yep. But, uh, but that's again, that visual spatial thought well, process. Well, you were finding your lane, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I was finding my lane. Right. So, um, that quickly, I mean, I actually technically didn't even finish my associates program there before I found a job. And that was in like 2009 and a half ish somewhere in there. Um, you know, I was like, college is expensive, even at the community college level. Mm-hmm. I need to find a job. I think I was delivering pizzas or something at the time on the side. I can't remember. Um, back when rent was cheap, <laughs> you could afford to pay rent on a pizza delivery yeah, job. Right. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, Those were the days, <laughs> man. Really, you, we didn't know you were taking us a trip down memory lane today. Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> to some degree, I don't know if I, I did it. either. I've got a lot of different, you know, stories on that kind of stuff, too, of like, that's that's been my story is constantly finding the next thing, the next thing, yeah. the next thing that's going to maybe be the next step up. Um, and of course, there's always these weird obstacles. But um, so, yeah, my first job in welding then was out at um, JV Northwest in Canby making uh, beer and wine tanks. So oh. it was like taking that three dimensional thing, really going big with it. This isn't, you know, it wasn't desk level stuff. It was like, I'm using pi every day to figure out the size of a circumference on this thing. And then having to use some three dimensional math to figure out, you know, how we're going to make the cone shapes and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty involved. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it didn't pay well. <laughs> Which is but, so surprising, yeah. but I was, you know, for yeah. like the kind of skill that that requires. But that place, I think, maybe had a particular culture of that, and they're they're yeah. no longer a business, probably for many of those reasons. Sure. And actually, that you know, you might say that was probably where I got my first taste of something that should be successful, mm-hmm. but wasn't for really obvious reasons. Hmm. And yet they never wanted to change. Hmm. They never wanted to change what they were doing, even though it was so clear to me, even as somebody, you know, coming in as like a 19 year old kid, I was complaining because I think I was actually taking a pay cut. Technically like delivering pizzas plus tip was like 18 bucks an hour. Hmm. I was making like 1350 as a welder. Wow. wow. This was in, again, you know, 2009. So it was like, yeah, but I was doing pretty dangerous work for yeah, <laughs> pretty low money. Dangerous and skilled. Yeah. You know, like yeah. not, not just were, something that anybody on They were putting us on, on job. jobs that like weren't aesthetically necessary. Okay. You know, like <laughs> it, it was like, these are wine tanks. They're going to get all rusty and gross looking in no time flat. Like the inside is important to be clean and to a certain degree, but like the outside, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, but still. I meant you still have to have some sort of certification though at that point, right? Um, Actually or? only for very specific pieces of the job. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and some of that is just what they're selling. Yeah. You know, if they were selling a higher pressure vessel, then it needs to be done by a certified. It, Got it. So on and so forth. Sure. Um, and that, and that came later. I did, you know, I continued on with, I did get certified and all that, but that was an entry level position that did not require certification. But I think I, I did get a little raise when I get certified and things like that. And yeah. Obviously got bigger and better jobs. Um, but realized I was pretty talented in that too. So I quickly found myself into an aircraft company. And, wow. Um, that was fun. Vans Aircraft down in um, Aurora. And they're a kit plane company. Yeah. So that was fun. Did that for a while. Um, bounced around. I think I got laid off there in like 2012. And yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to remember where all I went after that. There was a lot of like night shift um, staffing agency positions that didn't last long for a while. And that, was, mm-hmm. that was kind of a dark period of time. I mean, 2012 was hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so <laughs> coming out of college or coming out of high school in 2008, yep. horrible time to be. It was like, yeah, go to college or be broke. Those were your options. Mm. Right. Be broke or be broke. Yeah. yeah the economy. <laughs> right. Because that's right after the, uh, the the global financial. Yeah. There was nothing. I mean, I think and... I, I recall trying really hard to find a job anywhere yeah. during that time. And it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to college because <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to find a job anywhere. And eventually, you know, that changed. But, um, yeah, even in Corvallis, too, I remember looking for side jobs while I was, you know, going to college down there, just trying to find a way to make money, and it was tough. Um, so in total, how long did you spend um, as a welder or in – were you doing welding kind of that whole season? or Essentially in fabrication, right? yeah. Yeah, so that was like a seven-ish year journey. Okay. Um, I think I was in college for like a year and about a year and a half before I got a job. And then there was a little bit of overlap there. And I think I got I got like my welder's technician certificate and didn't technically finish my associates because it wasn't going to give me a raise anywhere that I was trying to work. So sure. it was like, you know, am I going to shell out another Why couple thousand that? dollars yeah. for nothing? I mean, really? Yeah. Um, especially as things were starting to become more clear with, you know, College degree wasn't necessarily the end all be all. Yep. It, sure. it wasn't. Yeah, I think the pers- evident <laughs> the perspective <laughs> there change. has shifted a lot in the yeah. last 10, 15 years yeah. about the, the necessity. I think 
Um, of course, I'm speaking as a guy that the same age as you, but uh, you know, the, the experience I think is shared among many millennials. Yeah. Um, with uh, is the investment in the college education really a, a worthy one, both financially and of time? Does it really unlock the kind of opportunities, financial and otherwise, um, to to justify itself? Um, but. From fabrication, I mean, you've mentioned uh, then getting into real estate and mortgage, mm-hmm. which that that seems like quite a jump. Oh yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> kind of a weird shift. So okay, so so enter the other half of my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, this is you know my wife. I've known her since technically I've known her since first grade. Um, we went through all of school together. Um, she jokes that she had a crush on me and elementary school and I don't think I even knew really who she was. <laughs> I knew she existed, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, went to different middle schools, went to the same high school. Um, so we started dating in like 2010 and uh, that, you know, flourished into a close relationship. And then we decided we were going to, you know, pretty much stay together. And at some point it was, you know, let's get married. And I think we were, yeah, it was about two years into being married. We'd been together for like five years or something at that point. So, you know, we were committed. Mm-hmm. Um, I got injured on the job, though. So I was I was grinding something one day, and a grinder bucked back, hit me in the wrist. And so I was out of work for a couple weeks. Yeah, um, It was a little scary. I've, I've had a couple incidents welding, but yeah. um, that was the only, like, real injury that I got. Um, so it was a little bit of a wake up call. Was there like some broken bones or no, I was actually surprisingly unscathed. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no doubt. I was cut open. I lost some blood, but like I didn't lose any function. Yeah. Um, could have been worse. Could have been worse. Yeah. yeah. And I I had one other close call definitely where I had a grinder uh, again, a grinder, not my welder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Grinders really are the dangerous things. Um, I had one of those buck back and like, bust open the front of my pants and luckily everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like really not actually injured, but it was uh, scary. It was unnerving it was nonetheless. Scary. Yeah. 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 But that one actually bit me. And, uh, so that was kind of my wake up call as I was down for a week and a half or two weeks, whatever it was. And, you know, my father-in-law at the time. Um, so he, he's the owner of commercial lending group, which is the, uh, mortgage brokers I work for. Mm. Um, he, <laughs> sort of literally figuratively threw a book at me, commercial mortgages for dummies. <laughs> and uh, he was like, Hey, seriously, Thanks. if uh, yeah. there's an opportunity here, if you, if you want it, you know, it's wow. probably a little safer, maybe a little more lucrative. Yeah. This was in, you know, 2000, early 16. Okay. So, so right. Is, you know, the real estate market is really recovering. It's hot. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's heating up. He'd been having a pretty good year. And I think was seeing that and like, you know, this seems the right time. I think he'd even offered me a job like two years prior to that. And I was like, nope, I'm going to be a fabricator forever. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of, I fit into that crew of like kind of straightforward, no BS. I, I can sit here obviously and talk with anybody for a long time, probably too long. But, uh, but at the same time, uh, I fit in well for whatever reason with that kind of lewd crude yeah. group of guys that work in the shop sure. and I enjoy it. Yeah. So it was, you know, it is fun. There's, yep. there's something fun about it. And there's this like, yeah, there's a cool uh, blue collar culture. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. You all embrace the same pains and yeah. stuff that you deal with. And you're always giving each other hard times for silly stuff. Yeah. And anyway, 
I don't know. There's something about it. Like there's, there is no real professionalism that's going on. No, the, the professionalism I mean, I, is the work that you put out, right? Like yep. there's no face to face professionalism. <laughs> I, I'm in new construction. So, um, even though I'm on the, the sales, um, real estate or brokerage side, I still have a lot of, you know, rubbing shoulders with the trades and, uh, and get to pick up on a lot of the, the dynamics. Electricians are my personal favorite. The, their, uh, their outlook on the world is, uh, <laughs> is unique and and dark (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like it would be pretty similar with like the there's not a lot of them but the underwater welders okay they get paid really really well but their job life expectancy is really short yeah Uh, not necessarily that they're gonna die but like they don't stay in that job for very long yeah because they could die (laughs) right yeah yeah a lot of them do (laughs) wow for various reasons, though, too, it's not just getting elect. You'd think, right? You'd think it's just like getting electrocuted. No, it's like a lot of times it's like you know airlines getting pinched or you get trapped under something. <laughs> like I don't know. There's not there's for a me. lot of different reasons, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, thanks. no thanks. But there's a reason why they get paid. You know, forty grand to weld a little square coupon on the side of a ship. Yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so so yeah. Anyway, I got injured and I got you know sort of thrown some media to figure out what I want to do. And then he said, all right, you know, if we, if you want to do this, we'll set up a salary for you for like six months and, um, try and get a deal or two going. Now, now I'm curious, were you, I mean, what was your thought process? Cause you talked about enjoying the shop, enjoying mm-hmm. what you were doing. This was a completely different world. Did, were you interested in real estate? Were you interested in what he was doing and building the team? I mean, walk us through your thought process there. Yeah, it was it was a pretty big uh, shift, obviously, for many reasons. I think the social aspect it was was probably the easiest to swallow. Of like, I'm going to be in this you know more social environment. That's fine. I don't think I have any issue with that. Um, it was that creative element of like, how am I going to scratch my creative itch? Mm-hmm. And you know, building stuff to me has always been not only fun but important. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I guess battling with the concept of I'm going from building stuff that, you know, my bare bones at the time understanding of like GDP and things like that. I still am not that smart about it, but I understand a little bit better, but it was more of that. Like we're making something out of nothing, uh, mentality. Whereas mortgage is kind of more confusing because you're not always helping somebody who really needs help. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you're helping some rich person who could totally be doing this themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they have done it themselves or maybe they don't know what the first step even would be. And they are rich for different reasons. Yeah. And that was a hard pill to swallow because like, I've never really, and still, I mean, like I would say I'm comfortable, but I like, I'm not wealthy. Like, <laughs> sure. yeah, and I'm not rolling in it, you know, like I'm not there yet, but like I measure success a little bit differently probably than most people. And what, how would you say you measure that? <laughs> so to me, there's a few different layers of it, right? But like it can be, there's small success of like, it, it, did I accomplish the goal I want to accomplish today? Mm-hmm. And then there's like my bigger life successes of, I mean, I go back five years and I never even thought I would well, six years, I guess I'm past five years of house ownership, six years prior that I had no expectation of ever even owning a house. Hmm. So uh, certain goals get blown out of the water, you know, and you never even know how it's going to happen, but you have to have them. Otherwise you're never going to keep shooting for 
higher. Right. Um, so the success to me is measured in like, did I reach the goal? And I don't know why, but it's never been like a number in my bank account sure. that matters. Mm-hmm. It's are my bills paid? Is my stomach full? Is there, you know, is there food in my pantry? Um, is there gas in my gas tank? Like that's a little bit more of where I was. And for a long time, it wasn't even, do I have a savings account? Now it's, do I have a savings account? Now it's, do I have six months of mortgage? Um, it's, it's slowly built over time. And some of that is, you know, taking like Dave Ramsey's class, you know, financial peace, I think. So Van Zerkraft offered that class. That was probably one of the big tipping points actually. in like me thinking a little differently about the future and Hmm. what am I really going to do with my life? Cause I'm in my, you know, younger mid twenties was, Taking financial peace, they offered the class for free. That's and great. On paid work time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. It's a cool company, actually. It's a That's super awesome. cool company. Yeah. Um, and they actually, as a company, are an all Vans Aircraft. It was an all cash company. I've, I have no idea if they're like still totally running this. I'm sure probably are, but they were like bought and paid for all with cash. They're building paid with cash. Like they do wow. not carry loans. Um, you know, they pay their invoices with checks. Like that's gotta be unique in the the business world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there was never, it wasn't until a few years later that I experienced a company that was like, Hey guys, uh, we don't have payroll and it's Friday. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We had that happen and it was scary, you know? And again, luckily I had like experience kind of what does it mean to have a savings account before yeah, that? Yeah, so that emergency it was like, yeah, this is, this is annoying, but I'll survive. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of people that were like, I can't pay rent, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And thankfully I'd been to this luckily landed through a, a staffing agency at Vans aircraft, uh, that had that mentality of mm-hmm. you have to just be able to pay for what you've got and starting a business on that and how important it is to start your business on that instead of starting your business on debt. Not to say that nobody should ever start a business on debt, but I think from maybe it's, you know, important from a manufacturing standpoint, but there is a different way. And it's a, it's a much longer ride, I think, because it's the high risk, high reward thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you take out a big loan, you might be able to get rich next year, maybe, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I mean, if your plan works, right? I mean, that's, those people are looked at as geniuses, you know. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's something different and kind of more wise about starting a company off cash in a barn or whatever that was a bunch of friends and probably a fair amount of volunteered time. But it came together. There was a community aspect, and a lot of those people still work at that company that helped yeah. start it. And because of that, they're taken care of. It's like, you know, they have employee stock ownership and all that. Those people are vested. They're set for life. Like that's, awesome. that's what I wanted when I started working there, but yeah. it was bad timing, you know? So, sure. um, and I think I was, I was like the youngest person at the company and also like the shortest term employee. <laughs> I was like the first person they'd hired in like four years or something. Wow. I don't remember. It was something crazy like that. So, wow. um, yeah, my, my leash wasn't as long as I thought it was at the time. <laughs> never is. Yeah, never is. But uh, yeah. yeah, so success to me, I guess, kind of round that out. It's just, it's it's more basic. I think um, it's like if I, if I get rich someday, great. But I'm more like, are my kids provided for? You know, now that's really the big one now. I think that's like the, one of the biggest challenges to all of this, putting it all together is now that I'm a dad. Like, mm-hmm. 
now the things that I cared about selfishly, I don't necessarily care about (laughs) or there's just not time to care about them. So it's like, okay, now I've adjusted that to Mm -hmm. success to me is, are they taken care of? Yeah. Which obviously starts with making sure the house is paid for and things like that. But, um, I think a hard question for them is what does their future look like? Right. Like our parents set up college funds or, you know, whether it was big or small or whatever, but they had some kind of like a plan for that. But I don't know if college fund is the right puzzle piece, you know, for, for my kids. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How to invest now in their future. And and Mm -hmm. I've had the wrestled with the same kind of questions. And, and it sounds like there was, uh, as you transitioned from fabrication into mortgage, a bit of a culture shock just from going with working from other fabricators and that whole culture mm-hmm. and, and where, uh, you know, um, uh, just there's not as much uh, money floating around or wealth among uh, that group. And then going into, you know, meeting with clients that have millions of dollars in liquid assets and are mm-hmm. um, putting together big commercial deals. Yep. So that's a, that's certainly a, a big change. Um, you'd also mentioned kind of scratching the, the creative itch and that being a difficulty and stepping away from where you're actually building things in fabrication that you leave the job and you're like, this was incomplete and now it's completed versus in uh, mortgage where it's uh, you're still building things, but it's a lot more abstract as far as putting together deals. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. I mean, it's like I used to spend two, three weeks, for example, building a tank and then watch it get on a truck and drive away. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, I mean, like it was kind of a sad moment. A lot of times it was like, thank God we're done. (laughs) You know, sometimes there was, there was rework that would go on forever. And then, but there was always this like sense of satisfaction though, of like seeing it drive off that you completed it. It's done, and you get to go on to the next project. Um, and you definitely get that with mortgage. Um, it, I don't know. It's kind of weird because I've rarely ever met the client, right, as, mm-hmm. as a fabricator, mm-hmm. but I was somehow intimately attached to what it was that I was making. Um, whereas I think a lot of times in mortgage, there's this, like, really big detachment of how – invested a person like a mortgage broker would actually be Mm -hmm. in that. I think a lot of people don't maybe fully understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I'm always thinking creatively of how can I connect to the people that I know to get to the end result that we're, you know, seeking. Um, I think of Nick, Nick's always been at a bank, right? So it's like, he does what he does very, very well. It's my job to then know the other 10 Nick's, that all have a slightly different product or a different There's niche. There's only one. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> one Nick to rule them all. Feeling but, real insecure over here all of a sudden. but <laughs> So it's it's taking instead of um, the the creative thing that I was, you know, sort of really diving into my introvert side, which I am very much, I think, naturally an introvert actually, but... I have extrovert qualities that I can sit there and talk to people. I don't really like being in front of a big crowd. In fact, I'm really glad that there's not a big crowd. Because <laughs> yeah. sure. I, should we, I should we mention the millions of YouTube viewers oh, yeah. that are no, live streaming great. in right that's now? Great. I don't even <laughs> care. Like that's and that's kind of the glory of a lot of what I'm doing with sure. with leather, right? Is like yeah. I just I put my face there if I feel like it. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe that'll come more later, but. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, being able to meet people and connect the Knicks, the yeah. 
the bankers, you know, with the investors and being able to connect on a personal level with the investor. I think my favorite deals to do, for example, is when I can connect on a personal level with somebody, especially when they come from construction or, you know, some type of a blue collar background and they've maybe had a similar transformation of, you know, I had to work my way all the way to this point and then maybe I inherited something from my parents when they died or grandparents or whatever. And now I'm trying to take that nugget and multiply it, Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, instead of burying it, I yeah. guess that's kind of the parable of faith yeah. right? <laughs> aspect. Yeah. I don't know why that story keeps coming up in my life. No, lately, I mean, but. I think that there's uh, yeah, profound, obviously <laughs> profound wisdom in, uh, in that uh, mm -hmm. to be a good steward of what you've been entrusted yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I think is probably one of the biggest themes lately is like realizing what I have, appreciating it, mm -hmm. but not just like putting a big metal shield around it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's really easy to do that. Right. And it's so prohibitive and <laughs> yeah. you know, it takes your time. It takes your focus and it leaves no room for trust. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, yep. there's the whole trust aspect with, with mm -hmm. faith that's important. And, um, my wife is good at reminding me of that. Yeah. Like when I'm not leaving any room for God to move in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like a toxic trait of mine, probably. <laughs> Well, a little I, too I, controlling. I think too, as you share and we get to hear more of your story, it's a it's a story that needs to continue to be told over and over because the world continues to scream, you need more, you need bigger, you need glamour. Right. You know, the so often success is defined so many different ways. But you know, at the nuts and bolts and the root of it, like you're saying, success is divine defined by being faithful, working hard, continuing yeah. to get better every day, continuing mm -hmm. to grow, challenge yourself, provide for your kids. And those just can never be overlooked. They just right. can't be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the purpose piece of that, I think yep. it's finding the purpose, right? Like that's probably to me, if anything, probably one of the things that I've found is me feeling successful is did I do something that was purposeful? Mm. I love that. And that's like even each day, right? It's something like, it's really easy to put that on a broad spectrum of like, is my job purposeful or whatever? Well, it's, if it's a little teeny tiny piece of a bigger function, yeah, it is important and it is purposeful and, you know, almost have to like take a step back and think, well, if your piece of the job isn't there, does the rest of it even get done? Sure. And then that's an easy way to find, you know, your purpose. Um, and that's probably something I struggle with actually in, in commercial mortgage a fair amount is, knowing what I can do without money mm. and then seeing people with money and knowing how much money greases the wheels of stuff sure, and being like, man, <laughs> you guys could be doing so much more by yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but it takes a lot of learning and, yeah. and yeah. that's, that's part of, I think our generation too is figuring that out. I mean, there's even just the gen X folks that didn't, have YouTube in their life for as long. Right. Yeah. They don't understand the wealth of knowledge. In fact, I I would almost argue like YouTube's making college obsolete. Like if there's any one thing, That's a valid point. If there's any one thing, and it's not that I'm trying to like plug YouTube here or anything, because there's like a lot. <laughs> Do you of secretly it? work. That's for them? a really big onion there. Uh, <laughs> but the amount of things, I mean, like I I learned a lot of commercial mortgage on YouTube. I right. pretty much my entire leather craft 
knowledge is self-taught on YouTube. Wow. I mean, I mean, this podcast and our website and everything that Abundant Journey is comes to you <laughs> thanks to YouTubers who have made how-to videos it. that you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have put together and, and watched. That's how so. I figured out how to run Etsy. Yeah, like that's the basis of my leather business. I, well, and, you know. and you've teased the leather business a bit here. And so I, I want to jump into that portion of the story um, because it's one that I'm fascinated by. But yeah. I think it, it's one you've shared that both solves some of your uh, success questions and your creativity itch yep. that you have. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing on the side. Yeah. It's It started, I know this, as a very much just something to do on the weekends, and it's grown. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so so the company is Rogue Apparatus. Um, I can just start with the name. A lot of people ask me because I'm, you know, I'm in Oregon. Oh, is it tied to like Southern Oregon, Rogue River? No, it's not. It's, it's <laughs> just a coincidence. Okay, so I... I think of myself as like a, a rogue automaton. It was the, you know, I think a little differently. It's not, it's not like I think I'm some special person or <laughs> extra unique, but it's just, I think over the years I've realized I don't necessarily fall down the same path as most people sure. do. And I don't know, you know, there's no really big rhyme or reason as to why, but I also find that I build things a little bit differently than a lot of people. I take maybe different steps and um, just the way I see it is, is, kind of unique yeah. um so the rogue apparatus me being the apparatus and the rogue being like i just kind of do it my own way mm. um a lot it. of a lot of leather companies will kind of put themselves into a niche that's too tight you know like i make wallets <laughs> Any, great anything else I mean, like, those <laughs> yeah, are some yeah. really nice wallets yeah. right <laughs> but like you're never gonna survive off that sure. right? Maybe, I don't know, but like that's shooting for the moon. Um, so some of it is that figuring out what do people need and it. It did start as like, I always knew I liked leather stuff. And so I made myself a knife sheath and a holster and, oh, and cool. It was fun. It was hobby stuff, you know. Was but, this like kind of as a kid even or? Uh, no, I started, I think when I was like 20 okay. or something like that. Yep. I, you know, I think I made a knife sheath and a holster and then I made a little slip for a hatchet cover and it was like. During downtime when I was living, I was living, well, working a night shift job, uh, living in this 900 square foot salt box on the side of the Tualatin River that had a little <laughs> fishing hole at back with my soon to be wife. And yeah. that was shortly after we'd been robbed and left the oh. apartment is oh, yeah, my a whole word. long story. Okay. But it was like yeah. this really tumultuous time in my life. Yeah. And like, um, even though I was welding at the time leather was this weird thing it's sewing has you know comes with that right, right. And my mom did teach me how to sew when i was young and wow, doing crafty cool. stuff like that but um yeah so so rogue apparatus came mostly as the pandemic was coming in i, I started so the, the first thing the dice box i made in 2019 that was in september of 2019 uh i believe the business officially launched in october and then I'm trying to think back. So then it was like, what, the following March or something? Like we were hearing murmurs of this weird disease yeah, yeah. in yep. December. Nobody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to Alabama that year, I think, for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Anyway, one of those. And remember hearing some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And this like Etsy business was starting to do things. It was getting interesting. And then suddenly, bam, like everybody's home for two weeks. 
two yeah. weeks turns into a month. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Mortgage pretty much came to a screeching halt because <laughs> whether it was regulation or just people not knowing what's having to happen. figure out oh sure yeah appraisals weren't happening because nobody could go into units right. like there was just like so many things going on that everybody had to step back and just say whoa let's figure this out okay i found myself with a whole bunch of time on my hands sure and i do not do well with nothing to do <laughs> i don't do well with nothing to do so i made work for myself yeah, like it which was, is, which is awesome, and and, yeah. and knowing uh, again how the the mortgage business works, I mean primarily if not exclusively on commission. So if you're not able to, yeah, pretty much do mortgages, I, yeah. I mean, at that point, you you were sitting at home and yeah, basically saying, all right, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah, yeah, and I had some, you know, some leather. I don't think I had a ton of leather at the time, but I had enough to like make a few hundred bucks worth of stuff, mm. and then. Yeah. All right, let's go buy some more. Let me just like turn yeah. into this. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it was. And on that same concept of like, okay, well, this is at the time just going to be there to pay for my hobby, hobbies, whatever it is, you yeah. know, my little side trips, bow hunting or, you know, camping or whatever it is that I feel like doing. Or maybe it's just going to pay a bill here and there. And I think it was by like July or August of 2020, I had paid a mortgage payment with it. And it was hmm. like, that was kind of a big deal to be. Yeah, for real. Well, I've got yeah. enough like leftover money here that, okay, I could just put it in my bank and let it sit. But there was something kind of exciting about like, dude, my hobby just like paid my bills paid this my month. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Yeah. So that was, was kind of exciting. So then the whole Dave Ramsey debt snowball thought came to mind. I'm like, oh, how can I start using this to just like pay down my bills? Well, that was still only six months or so into pandemic. Yeah. Thinking maybe this was going to end pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, wishful, I really wishful had like, thinking. I had All like of us. no yeah. hopes in this thing even going as long as it did, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was like, I'll probably keep it going in the background. So, you know, fast forward two and a half more years, and it was like, okay, um, mortgage is still pretty slow. There's deals happening, but it's, it's pretty skimming the surface of like barely enough. So suddenly leather was becoming much more necessary. Um, and it's, it's kind of making a, another fluctuation back. It seems the other direction again, now where mortgage is picking up. And, um, so I kind of floated as what's coming my way because I can set timelines on leather. Mm. You know, I mean, I can, <clears throat> I can make as many products as I want, stock them in my shop and I can take on as many custom requests as I want. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I can tell them it's going to take two months. Yeah. You know, even though the thing only takes me a day to make just with your own capacity or or, but yeah, it's yeah. like if I just set that expectation further out, mm-hmm. a person's either going to throw money at me because they want to buy my thing or they're going to move on to somebody else that gets it done faster and that's fine. But if mortgage is going, you know, gangbusters, it is more lucrative. Why would I waste my time on leather? Um, you know, I could, Mm -hmm. I could do double what I did on leather last year in one deal, Sure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't come around every day. Right. Right. So I got to be a little more picky and choosy. And, you know, as I found out last year, sometimes you'll spend two months on a deal and it'll break. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, (laughs) Yep. so that, that also is a hard thing, especially when the economy was doing what it was doing. And it's like, you know, you're only working on a couple of deals and maybe the commissions aren't even that big. Right. So it was, it was tough, but, uh, but we survived last year. We did all right. Um, again, I, I would say last year was success for the sole reason that rogue did year over year, the same amount 
even though 2022 was kind of known to be a terrible year for almost everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses failed in 22. Oh, for sure. It was, and looking back, it was the businesses that probably should have naturally failed during the pandemic. That were propped up by other means or... Naturally is kind of the wrong word to use because that was totally like a, you know, not natural thing to shut down the entire economy. But Mm -hmm. in doing that, you would expect certain businesses to fail, you know, and they didn't because they were artificially kept afloat. Mm -hmm. You know, they they were given a life jacket, so to speak. And I didn't take any of that. I mean, I did, I had a lot of people be like, get a PPP loan, all this kind of stuff. I was like, why? Yeah. Like, why would I do that? I mean, sure. Yeah, I could do that. I probably could get a no interest loan, probably get it paid back. I could, you know, treat my wife as an employee or something like I could have done all these silly things, but it's like, that's doesn't seem to me the way to be successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, success is earning it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's well, and, and finding new ways to make the ends meet and to be yeah. creative. And so, you know, I love how you pivot back and forth. And that's one of the questions we ask our guests is, do you have multiple income streams? And you're really working toward you're you're working hard, but you're also really setting yourself up for that success no matter the season, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I think in having that flexibility and agility, um, but I think a lot of times if you're so tunnel vision and you're so focused on only one lane or just working really hard, that's a that's a great thing, but you have to be able to explore other things and mm-hmm. really dive into that creativity side and, and see, hey, what else can I be doing? Yeah. Um, in the event that, something goes wrong and look at, I mean that you guys walked through that, but you were still able to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, I'm probably going to botch this. I want to say it was Jordan Peterson that said something like you have to reassess your limitations to like realize what your potential is. And I was like, even thinking about that on my way here, I'm like simple things. We were talking about like dogs and stuff, right? For, for a lot of people, I feel like a dog is, is a basic limitation. Like, Oh yeah, no, I can't go out or I can't stay the night somewhere because I've got this dog that's at home. It's like well, you chose to have the dog, so like you, you, you cornered yourself into a long-term limitation. Sure, mm-hmm. um, you could say that about anything. You know, kids, <laughs> sure. kids are kind of that way too. But like, yeah, well, you also with- can choose to take them with you, and you can choose to bend around those limitations, right? It's like, are you holding yourself back, yeah. or? Did you choose to do something that's holding you back? You know, I mean, I've, I've experienced probably every version of these things at some point in my life, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's a big one that I think I've hit this year is like figuring out how, how to just drop the limitations. I mean, so many of them are just not real. Yep. I mean, like you think they are, it's cold outside. I don't want to go for a walk. Yeah. You know, like, Mm -hmm but you should <laughs> and uh, you're out of shape because you're not going for a walk. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, who, who, you know, who do you have to be upset with? And, and more often than not, it's yourself mm-hmm. um, figuring out what it is that you can do. Uh, I guess just to expand whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And I've, I've come to a point now where it's almost, it's probably almost a little unhealthy at times, but struggling to do anything that doesn't accomplish something hmm. like sitting down watching the super bowl for example <laughs> it's a really <laughs> hard really, to really find enjoyment one. in it like you did 
I mean, well, earlier. it doesn't help that I don't really care about any football teams. <laughs> sure. But if I did, maybe it'd be different. Like, I kind of care about the Blazers, but I still can't bring myself to sit down and watch a whole sure. basketball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's because I have kids and I'm, like, exhausted. Let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. Like, yep. if I had yep. the chance, I'd probably pass out by the time <laughs> yeah. we get to the end of the game. Yeah. But <laughs> right. But, um, but it's just not there. Like, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's hard for me to sit down and do nothing like this time that we have on the earth is short. Yeah. So like to sit in front of a TV seems absurd, Mm -hmm. I guess. I I don't know. Um, You know, even this, like I, this is good because it's accomplishing something. It's, um, you know, it's getting a name out for my business, I guess, although it's not a commercial, but it's helping you guys. Um, It's, we're obviously chatting about, potential ways to be successful. So we're sharing ideas, you know, there's right. this, there's this benefit to what's happening here. Um, where it's like, I don't necessarily see the same benefit in like just going out and having a beer and watching a football game. Sure. You yeah. know, it's like, there's, there's no accomplishment there. Um, I guess, is that a problem? Like, do I not know how to relax anymore? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, that's always, I'll probably get back there. You know, always a fair question to, <laughs> to ask. And, and a lot of it, you know, does come to uh, kind of a, a framing thing too. And like how, you know, how you go into a, a time and, and uh, I mean, it sounds in some ways, everything that you're talking about um, falls under like the, the theme of, taking ownership, extreme ownership or personal responsibility for your life and for your decisions. And with every decision that you make, there's unique opportunities that it opens up, but then it also excludes other possibilities. And so, you know, anytime you decide to do something, whether that's getting a dog or watching the Super Bowl or building a business in doing that, you're also saying, you know, yes, I love the possibilities that that creates for me. Um, more time with friends or the, the companionship of a dog or financial freedom from a business. But it also means, you know, well, I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, or Z. I'm not going right. to be able to go on the, it's going to be harder to go on trips with the dog. It's going to be harder to, um, whatever it is. You I know. basically don't travel. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, Age of and that's, yeah, that's, and that's probably right. true. Like oh, that's yeah. a big piece of it. We're about to go on a trip next month for my sister-in-law's wedding, but cool. and it's going to be the first time we take the whole crew okay. on, on nice. an airplane. So oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah that'll be fun. That'll yeah. Be fun. That's right. And life is kind of like you're talking about too. It's in flux with different yeah. seasons and different yeah. stages. Well, and I look at a lot of like my peers um, you know, it's really easy to sit there and compare yourself to the people sure. around you, your friends and whatever it is. And, um, in so many ways, it's not even fair to compare my situation to many of the people around me because a lot of them don't have kids. Like, I don't know if that's the same for you guys, but like a lot of, I feel like my age demographic doesn't really sure. have kids yet. And so they're living like totally different lives. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're out traveling. They're doing understandably stuff like, different like, sets of priorities. Notice. They're like, let's go mm-hmm. to the beach for the weekend. You know what? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I can't even fathom that. Yeah. 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 Uh, much <laughs> less the fact that I've chosen to buy a house instead of like a fancy car yeah. or, you know, I don't know, live downtown or something like that. You know, right. like in many cases they're paying for rent, what I pay in mortgage. Um, but that was partly the choice that when I was given an inheritance, I put that into a house yeah. instead of going to Europe or something sure. like that, you know, totally, which I know a lot of my friends would have, and they would have been totally fine with that decision. Yeah. But that's, I guess just the difference. It was like, Mine's you know, the good. generational wealth. Um, I felt compelled that I had to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really, really want a camper, but <laughs> not quite there yet. Not, not there yet. You know, we're close. We're close. We're, we're, that's the goal, right? Yeah. I got to set my goal high. Um, I think I just, I just posted that the other day. It was kind of a thing that came to me on, on my Facebook was like, um, I, for whatever reason in my life, I find that I have to try like two to three times harder to achieve just a fraction of the goal that I actually set out for. Mm. So, um, I have to set my goal way higher yep. than what it is that I think I really want. That's my kind of guy. Yes, <laughs> you sound like a BHAG guy, the big, hairy, audacious goal <laughs> guy. We, we had a, um, an episode where we talked about goal setting and different uh, models. And that's, that's where I am. Like I, I try to set the biggest, most extreme goal possible because even if I don't quite achieve whatever the extreme is, the trajectory that it sets me on yep. is going to bring me you know, where I want to go. I'm going to accomplish other uh, goals in process of getting to the big thing that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, I just, <laughs> yeah, I, and it's I'm like, glad yeah, to have somebody there, else on the BHAG team, whether <laughs> you knew it or not. <laughs> I, when I started commercial mortgage, right? Like my, my goal was to be in a position to retire by 40. I don't want to be retired when I'm 40. Sure. Yeah. Like actually, and just like I said, like I don't do well with nothing to do. So right even my idea of retirement looks different than a lot of people's, but, um, but the, the idea was set that goal. That's sort of audacious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> here I am sitting with like nothing in my bank account and I'm like, I'm going to retire when I'm 40. Yeah. That's <laughs> I love right. It. But, but it, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, you know I mean? Like, but we're on the trajectory is yep. in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and having, the part. having a little bit of clarity with that future goal, whatever it is, gives you direction to start moving so that there's purpose and meaning behind the daily actions, the things that you're regularly working on, the the steps that you're taking. So let me do this. I want to shift and just ask you a couple more questions. Sure. Yeah. We've, we've heard your stories. We've heard your success. Let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Have there any been any either business ideas you've tried and failed, or maybe just some ways you've fallen on your face and what, what have you learned from those? Where should I begin? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, my success is pretty much like on a pile of failure. Yeah. Like, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Not your failures, but you've learned from them to yeah, you continue no, I mean, to grow, right? It's, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of little success, I think, um, so many failures that like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, where do I start with that? My only other like big business flop. I don't even know if I'd call it a flop. Um, it was in like between 2012 and 2014, I saw an opportunity with the cannabis market and was like, okay, we could get in on this and do the medical thing for however long that lasts. I knew that, you know, Oregon was planning on doing a tax act thing and like maybe we'd slip in on the beginning of this new industry and Mm -hmm. maybe that would be a piece of this puzzle. And I would say largely we did all right. I mean, we were a successful medical farm for like two ish, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And then it went legal and I pretty much was looking at it. Like when it goes legal, I'm either going to have an opportunity with somebody who's going to partner with me and it's going to blow up or I need to get out wherever I am, because there's going to be somebody who's rich and they are definitely, definitely going to drown me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like there's no question. Um, and it partly was because of the way they set that hole up, Mm -hmm. the taxation, there was only so many permits and things like that. So it was just like, 
nah, I, I don't think this is the kind of competition I want to be in. Um, and so that was sort of a fork in the road where it was looking like I was either going to go that route or go with fabrication because I was doing both. Mm-hmm. And then we basically just stepped away from the whole cannabis industry and just went back into fabrication. And that was really where I changed my focus to just being a husband. It was like, yeah. all right, you know, yeah. we made, we made some money <laughs> kind of looking back that the lady that we were renting a house from offered us a rent to own for four twenty five. 4,000 square foot house wow. in Milwaukee on a half acre. Oh man. Oh, <laughs> that investment alone. I shouldn't have walked away from yeah, <laughs> That was yeah. the real failure. Here's in the failure story, in the right. story. Yeah. <laughs> the, those hindsight I moments. I about real estate sure. at the time though. Right. Like that was not even, it wasn't on I knew, radar. yeah, I knew it was important. Like I knew that having, having a house or land would be a good thing someday, but like I was still in that mindset of this is never going to happen. Right. I was just not there yet. And it wasn't actually until probably we were given, you know, word that we were going to get an inheritance from my wife's grandfather that it was like, this is a possibility. Yeah. The rate environment made it that way. Um, We were just in such a time in 20, was it six? Yeah. Mid 2016 where it was like, all right, things are looking good. Maybe we'll find a fixer upper, you know, and then um, wife got pregnant and we're like, all right, well, I guess we're going to buy something a little bit more turnkey. Yeah. So that's that's the route we went. We yes, did not go with calls. a fixer upper. Um, but again, I don't know, you know, right? There there was more opportunity probably in a fixer upper. Maybe I could have gotten more equity gains and maybe we would have moved somewhere else by now. Who knows? But sure. uh, but I'm not mad about that, right? Like we landed in a good spot in Oregon City and I think our, our homes gained good equity. Mm-hmm. Um but there was like a little window of time where we thought about moving. I remember talking to you about moving to the South because yep. it was like I could have sold my house and bought a house for cash. Could have had a mortgage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Rope> was <laughs> Still sounds appealing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It would have made that 4,000 square feet on a half acre probably look small, you know, because <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. down there is so big. But. So I think some of that is like what I'm trying to keep my eye out for now. Not that I'm trying to like exit mortgage, but I do think yeah. there is like there's a lot less stress in doing leather work. And I do think that to some degree, the life I'm living right now is because I live in a place that is such high cost mm. that yeah. I don't have a lot of other options. Sure. Like if, if I really wanted to, I could probably uproot my family and move somewhere cheaper and we could probably change that story like now, but that would leave me with only doing leather probably or struggling. Like if I go down into the middle of the South somewhere, I'm not probably going to be doing a lot of commercial mortgage. I probably, you know, I, I can, I can do that anywhere. Sure. I can mm-hmm. be mobile. Um, but it's just not as conducive right. as being in the Northwest and in, in Portland. Yeah. We're around more banks, we're around more people. It's way easier to network. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if that opportunity were to arise again, cause that was the thought is like, man, if I had no mortgage, that's $2,000 a month. Like that's, I don't know. Some people that's nothing, but <laughs> I don't know a lot of my clients that's like, yeah. okay. But to me again, like that, that, how do you define success? Well, yeah. to me, $2,000 a month is a life changer. Right. You know, sure. I mean, it's, I'm looking at my, one of my kids starting school soon, you know, and that whole daycare bill, that's yeah. half of that too. So it's like, okay, well if I were to move, mm-hmm. my kid goes into kindergarten. Wow. Suddenly it's like 3,500 bucks a month coming into my pocket with no purpose yeah Mm -hmm. 
then I start to realize what I've actually built for myself. Sure. And it's just that, again, my choices, effectively, I chose to have children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're expensive. Yep. Yeah. I Absolutely. probably didn't. I probably didn't know how expensive they were <laughs> going into that. But uh, and some of those things have changed too. You oh, know, for I mean, sure. you don't know what you're going to do for childcare until so you got that kid in front of you, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm not just going to pay for some random babysitter." Right. You know, so yeah, the quality there all of a sudden becomes yeah real. It's very important. Yeah, yeah, and you're and you're like willing to put out some extra work to make sure that that's good. But that's a struggle too, because you know you run into various issues with just not seeing your kid all day, not knowing really you know what kind of an education they're getting. I'm not speaking for my kids' childcare situation or anything, but it's there are questions that run through your mind. You know, is as a dad, you're just like, is, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Like paying somebody else to <laughs> take care of my kids. And, and mm-hmm. that's some of the struggle, you know, as if we were in down or, you know, somewhere in the South, could we live off one income? And, you know, cause my wife, she works a good job. Mm-hmm. Technically, if we were in that situation where we sold and bought a house down there, her, her income would pay us just fine. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And I could do this as a hobby again. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, that sounds kind of nice. The reality on that is like I don't have the patience for young children, really, <laughs> like all day. Yeah, like, I love my kids, but no, no doubt about <laughs> I love that. My I, kids, you, but like I was not built with that level of patience. Yeah. So <laughs> know your know your limitations. Know your limits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so important. So important. It's great. Yeah, yeah, and you know, learning to take time for yourself is big. It's probably something I need to do more often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like put, putting those those kinds of priorities in their places. I think is is really where a lot of people probably fail is just not realizing what's really important um, for now. Yeah, you know, being able to put certain things on a longer horizon, even though it's what you want now. Mm-hmm. I think that's what separates kind of a mature thinking person from somebody who's going to continue to wallow for who knows how long, you know, or or even I see a fair amount of single people who just don't do more. Like I know one of the questions on your sheet was like, if you could go back and do it all over, start over again right now or something, it's like, I would have worked a lot more overtime when I was young. That's like number one. Sure. A lot more overtime when I was young. Cause like I spent an awful lot of time probably just, hanging out with people doing nothing partying maybe that's why i don't do that now like i I like can't stand it now because i realize i look back and i'm like wasted years man so many wasted years on yeah even if it wasn't like bad but it was just you know sitting around a campfire or something doing absolutely nothing sure like i could have spent that friday night working getting ahead probably could have had a house a few years sooner Mm -hmm. You know, I look at some of the people who, you know, got, well, so like going the, the trade versus college route. Um, I highly recommend that, by the way, for like anybody who is remotely concerned about whether they think college is the right option for sure. them, like open that door to the trades because there's a lot of them. And some of the most like happy, successful people yeah. that I know are like CDL drivers. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and like they've got all the stuff they want, their bills are paid, their kids are happy. <laughs> like, 
Yep. <laughs> well, I love that. I mean, you've you've continued to hit what is success defined as over and over. And you know, yeah. we just we continue to be told it's a certain status, certain bank account size, and that just isn't success. And you've right. entered into a different season of life as a parent with kids, and success just looks different. So, I love that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get to the end of the show here and it's been great having you on i want to uh, throw a couple gold nugget round questions at you we typically like to ask our guests these so first one is uh pick one of the five f's of abundant journey for those of you who don't know we do family finance faith fitness and future i think we've hit on all of these categories today but what uh, really here in 2023 i mean what is one of those um one of those f's that you're really focused on improving and, and growing well, um, I know God would like me to say faith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Try to be a good son. There you go. Uh, yeah. No, that's, it's kind of true though, right? I mean, I, I think that's probably the one that I need to focus on mostly. Um, and, and mainly because I tried to start my business on that concept. I mean, if you go to my Instagram page, I thought it was important to put God first right there on my profile. Um, just because it again started as a hobby and it's grown into its own thing. And I, I largely attribute that to my faith. Mm -hmm. Um, it has been there when the other work wasn't, that was the, it's kind of been the constant prayer as I go through this is like, I, I struggle because I don't know if I should be doing finance or if I should be doing rogue, Mm -hmm. like doing leather work. Um, because there's a lot of things that feel more uh, moral compass, acceptable on the leather stuff where it's like, sometimes I don't know if I'm working for somebody that I really don't agree with Mm. in mortgage (laughs) or their business model or their business period. Um, there's, there's a lot more like moral dilemma questions over there. Um, so I think the faith piece is probably like the most important in my life. And then I think the family comes right behind that. Yeah. And you know, if you stack them in different orders, I think finance is like, I think it's probably the least important because if you have all the others, the finance piece falls into place. Mm, that's good. But again, I, I don't see finance as like my goal. Yes. Yeah. That's like not, it is, but it isn't right. It's mm-hmm. like, it's more, it's a supplemental achievement that comes with doing the other things correctly. Yeah. Um, so it all works together though. That's why we like doing the five F's because yeah, they all typically go hand in hand. They really do. They really do. Yeah. And I know like one of our biggest struggles and, you know, me and my wife has just been trying to get to church in the last year because sickness, you know, the one year old and four year old, they're always like passing a cold around. Yes. Especially like, in the Northwest. Yeah. Eight months of the rain. If it's not one it. of those two, it's me or my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get like one week every four or five weeks that everybody gets to go to church. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. But yep. luckily, church is like always broadcasted now. Yeah, that was never a thing before the true. pandemic. Not right? growing up, that's yeah. for sure. A couple of uh, happy outcomes out of uh, the whole COVID nineteen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like your business as well. Um, growing apparatuses, right? Yep. Yep. Being, uh, you know, things like that being able to take off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What uh, What's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you on your journey? So, yeah, I'm glad I read that one before I left because I would have been just like drawing a blank on this one. But the one that always comes into my head and I, it's like kind of controversial in its own way, but it comes from Cameron Haynes. If you know who he yep. is, uh, nobody cares. Hmm. Keep working or keep hammering or whatever it is. Yeah. I probably screwed that up, but like nobody cares. Work harder. Yeah. Basically, like stop focusing on what everybody I around you is doing. 
Yep. All the noise around you, like if you have an intuition about what's going on, keep working. Yep. Just keep working. Just keep going. I love that. Yeah, it's that's probably kept me rolling in harder times is like it, it yeah, I don't know. Kind of sounds brash, but sure. like I also always know that like God's on my side. So that's the only person that I need to care about the opinion. Yep. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And frankly, most of the people in the world don't care about you. So <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> Dude, we're go- Hey, Hey, you said early on fabricators blunt to the point. Yep. So we're keeping it real. What, uh, what's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet? Yeah. So, uh, I think it's like the <laughs> the camper thing, right? I don't know why the camper always comes into my mind, but being able to get my whole family out doing something fun that we all kind of enjoy, and I have no idea if that's even what it is, but that's what it is in my head. Yeah. Sure. And I think it's because I grew up that way, and yeah. even though like a lot of those, it wasn't a camper, by the way. It was a Volkswagen <laughs> camper van, and there was five of us in it. Hey, but <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad, but it was also really fun. That's right. Like, like the memories are good, but, but yeah, no, there's something about the, like, I, I think the goal I want to achieve is finding the thing that, that brings my family together, which is probably really, really hard to even wrap my head around the specific what right now, just because my kids are so young. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I'm sure that will manifest in the next couple of years yeah. probably as my boy starts talking and telling me all about what he wants. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. They're so. good at doing that. <laughs> My uh, almost soon-to-be eight-year-old has a long list of things she tells me she wants. So. Yeah, the girls are good at that. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> I have three of them, I know. Well, uh, hey, last question here. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? Um, Just looking, I guess, looking out for the people around me. Like, I... I don't think I ever want to be known as somebody who was more concerned about my own personal goal than making sure that the people around me are kept up, you know, taken care of. Um, like I, it's funny. I was thinking about, I think for unrelated reasons, I was thinking about a really similar topic of like, I just hope that my kids see me as somebody who was really trying for them. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably what I care about mostly. And my wife is, you know, of course, as well too. Yep. Um, but I think that immediate bit is probably the most important. Um, I don't have like a huge community of like close friends. Sure. <laughs> it's just like I, I don't. It's part of my personal or personality, I guess, that like I don't keep a large community of people around me. Mm-hmm. I, it takes kind of a lot for me to trust somebody. So. Um, that's probably something I need to work on too is learning how to trust people better. Um, but being able to actually share that, I mean, it's like, I want to be able to retire at 40 or be somewhere in that ballpark of being able to like not have to work to provide for myself anymore. I want to be able to work to provide for others at that point. Yeah. That's really what that goal means to me. That's the, that's the difference of the success, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go sit on a beach and do nothing when I'm 40. I want to go and like, like right now I would love to go over to Turkey and help people. Yeah. I can't do that. Cause that's like, yeah. Yeah. Financial is a piece of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a big piece of it. Probably bigger piece than I realized because like to be able to afford to just drop what you're doing, like fly sure. across the country for an unknown amount of time. Um, 
but I did a lot of that in high school too, like mission trips. Hmm. And that's probably where that comes from. But going back again to that time period of life where I had like no responsibility, sure. no bills to pay, like none of this. It was like, but I did save up the money for that, you know, for the airfare myself for those when we did that. Um, my parents would, you know, probably pay, I think they paid half or three quarters, but I, I pitched in on that. It was, that was part of it for me. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think what I want to try to get to hmm. is to that point where people can see that I worked to get to a place not to be recognized for this or mortgage or because I'm rich, yep. but because I was willing to drop whatever it was that I was doing to help the person next to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Some beautiful <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Show 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 thank us a you. couple things and, yeah, and yeah, tell yeah. us how folks can get a hold of you as well. And, sure. and and also I think you got a website for it. I do. Yeah, it's rogueapparatus.com. All one word. Um, this was of course you, I got to pull this out. You were this showing us the, at the beginning. This is the thing that started it all, right? Started it all. The original piece. The original piece. So this is called a chess X case. It it's very common. This like anybody who plays dice games has their dice in one of these. And kids will, or I say kids, people of all ages <laughs> play these games. Sure. <laughs> yes. They'll sit around these tables, though, and they all have their little case of dice. And I don't know where the idea popped in my head, but, like, I needed to do something to make that more unique. So, yeah. that, like, somebody shows up and they've got this thing that their dice goes in that's, it's great. you know, way cooler and aesthetically pleasing to, like, what you're doing. Um, they're, you know, elves and <laughs> dragons and all that kind of stuff that's just fit the bill. Yep. Um <laughs> yep. I know that you're saying it's, it's pretty simple, but the clasp on it is really beautiful. It just feels great and solid in hand. There's just nothing quite like leather either. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. more, yeah. And, Those know. are cool too because they're actually made out of like red wing boot leather, which was kind wow. of a lucky find that I found early on. Yeah. Later became really, really difficult to find, and I actually can't find it anymore. But. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But that was—it's a collector's edition. Part, part of the appeal on that one, um, but yeah, that obviously went into other hobbies of my own. I, I'm an avid outdoorsman, um, so you know, obviously holsters. This is um, kind of a crazy thing that I do called Turkish marbling, where hmm. you get a, a really interesting dye pattern on there by dripping dye over water and then laying the leather into it, and it takes up whatever's absolutely on the surface there. So. Um, and then the other piece of that is, you know, concealed carry, obviously, is a piece of this one. Um, I have a friend, throw a little plug in for him, PDX Arsenal. Brian Mumford runs a really good um, concealed carry class company. That's great. Um, I went to high school with him. He's been running that business for like over 10 years. So I'm kind of, kind of proud of him. But he got me into doing a lot more of the concealed carry holster stuff. And then uh, more recently, this is sort of the like pride work, yeah. which is anytime I can find like a true handmade hand forged knife maker, mm -hmm. try and make friends with them. Um, I was blessed enough to have a friend of mine get into TV and his name's Ray Livingston. He's actually on season six of alone and he's about to do another show. I don't think I'm really technically allowed to say what it is, but <laughs> one of my products will be with him. That's awesome. Um, a very similar knife sheath with a knife made by the same maker here. This is um, Matt Phelps of Alan Matthew Custom Knives. He's over on the East Coast, and he's been kind enough to be recommending people come my way for his, you know, obviously really fancy custom knives. Yeah. 
putting on nice sheaths for them. That's super and, cool. And uh, yeah, this one's actually spoken for. It's going off to Texas, and I was like, I should bring that. It's a pretty piece. Yeah, so. super pretty. <laughs> yeah, I love the, the work that you've done. The stitching, color. So the other fun little snippet I'll put in here is that starting this business has cost me very, very little money. And I think a lot of people think that it costs a lot to start a garage company doing something like that. Hmm. Um, It doesn't. You just have to do the research to find out what you need to get into. The sewing machine that I use, this is hand-stitched and this is hand-stitched, but these things like my holsters and sheets are usually machine-stitched because I've got carpal tunnel problems, so I can't really stitch stuff for very long by hand. it's a $125 sewing machine. Wow. Uh, it, it's a cheap, clunky made in China thing that I, I'm not a big proponent of made in China at all, actually. But, um, you know, there's a time and place for starting a business yeah, on cheap started, stuff yeah. sometimes. Sure. You know, it is what it is. And I think, you know, more and more, it's like all these products now, it's always made with American products is really as much as I can. Hardwares are kind of a hard... Uh, for whatever reason, there's not a lot of American sure. hardware companies, but like the Ulti Clip, for example, is American. The brass is American. All this leather is, you know, American tanned, American cow yeah. leather. Um, wow. So that's something I also like to implement is trying to keep it stateside if I can. Like you said, you got your start, your first store was on Etsy. Yes. Third-party platform. Yeah. Yeah. That, this whole thing never would have happened probably without Etsy yeah. either. Um and I know a lot of people have really mixed feelings about how Etsy does business because it does cost a lot. Like they charge, you know, six and a half percent and then you get to a certain amount of business in a year and then they put you on Google ads. And then if somebody clicks a Google ad, it's 12 percent to Google, six and a half percent to Etsy wow. credit card feeds. You're, it's like 23 percent out the door before you even get paid. It's probably not something that you want to stay on forever as a small business well, owner, but not as my primary source. Yeah. Sure. I do have my own, my own business is actually, my website is actually tied in with Etsy because oh, okay. they have pattern, which, so you pay a small fee to own your domain and whatever, but you don't pay those fees when people buy off your website. Better for our listeners That's right. Yes. Yeah. But Please do. It gets you a lot of exposure to people who are looking for your type of product. Sure. Um, they have a really good algorithm for putting the product in front of the people who are looking for that kind of product. Um, and the other thing is the reviews is just the way sure. to have it set up. That's where all my reviews are. I think you might be able to find them through my website, but it's not as obvious. Like if, if you go on Etsy, it's like right there and it's great. You know, it tells you how many sales you've done, how many reviews you've got. Um, and yeah, I don't know for whatever reason that's been really good for me. I, I guess I'm doing something right. Cause I've, I get a lot of reviews. Most of them are very good. Thanks <laughs> to everybody who's done that. Um, I, I, attribute most of it just to trying to do the right thing. (laughs) Just make a good product, believe in your product, back it up. Like Mm -hmm. if if somebody comes back to you and they're like, this isn't working for me, it's a lot easier to take the refund and take your product back than it is to try and like slog through a bad review that's stuck there forever. Sure. (laughs) That is a good word. And that's a good one to end on, right? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, hearing from you and um, yeah, getting so much of, of your story and twists and turns that life has made. You've, uh, you know, you're building, making incredible things. You've got an awesome business that you've started. Um, and I just love the way that you're you know, complementing uh, 
side with still you know, pursuing creative passions and how all of that fits in with uh, your goals in life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Nick, you want to close us out? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it kind of took me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, thank you so much, listeners, for uh, engaging with us at the Abundant Journey podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, it really helps us if you can like, subscribe, whatever the platform it is that you're listening on. If there's a way for you to show support, please do that. Also, um, you can find us at AbundantJourney.net. So that's where you can find a collection of blog posts, of uh, episodes, as well as the episode notes. So we'll have um, links to uh, rogue apparatuses. And uh, you got any social media? Yeah, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. All the, all the places. Don't know what's happening with TikTok, but I'm there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Boom.